Welcome to another episode of Talking Wit, WIT, Kevin and Son, and the People You Should Know. This episode is brought to you by RMK Productions and the 10 United Podcast Network. Our mission is through the power of story to uplift, share our voices, inspire, share experience and perspectives using the framework of teaching, learning, and modeling. Our purpose is very simple, creating hope, helping other people every single day. Hello, my name is Kevin McLemore. I'm an award-winning author, and I'm the host of Talking With Kevin and Son. Today, we'll be talking to Miss Jury Love. We'll learn about her story and her gift to survive. We'll share, she'll also share with you her gift and how she overcame and became a journalist without a degree. We'll also talk about her ability and her gift to give back and to be able to survive um, by giving back. And if you hang around long enough, we will also have Jerry share, share with you her uh, appearance as an actress in an Oscar-nominated film called Don't Look Up as a Japanese reporter alongside Emmy-nominated son, Jaden, and her best-selling book, A Gift from Adversity, in three categories on Amazon. I'd like to welcome our guest and a person everyone should know, Miss Jury Love. Thank you for being our guest. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Kevin? Thank you so much for the introduction and having me on your show. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, for those of you that are Googling um, Jury's name right now, I know her story, when you, you, you pull up everything about her, it's going to sound like a Hollywood feature film. Um, I would like to share with our listeners her story on how she overcame and survived sexual and physical abuse as a child, but also how she came to America at 18 years of age and was able to thrive with a gift and to think first um, and live with a sense of courage and allow her music in order to be that platform that will carry her through. She's a single mom of two young children, Jaden and Jayla. Hopefully I got that right. Um, she's also in a band. Um, she does a lot of things. She works with nonprofits, um, a group called um, Genuine Voices. We'll talk about those. And the hero um, within us, NBA uh, Boston Celtics. So, Jury, I know there is a lot um, someone called you a goddess of connection. Um, can you explain that to me before we go into your story? Yes, absolutely. So as you mentioned, well, thank you so much for stating all these accolades. I've gotten to know a lot of people in America. When I came to America, I had zero friends. Mm -hmm. And then um, along the way, I accumulated a lot of talented people, circle of friends, and I have really good memory of not only who they are, but what they do and what they have accomplished. So when somebody is needing something, I can remember, okay, he is an attorney. He is a plumber. He is like, you know, building a deck. Like I'm, I'm really good at connecting the dots. So people start to call me goddess of connection. And that's really advantaging me for being a reporter now and a film producer, because those are really good skills to have. Those, those are excellent skills, um, but you're also a survivor. There are a lot of people that have brought their story forward in, in books, a lot like yours, uh, a gift of adversity. And there are a lot of people that are sitting at home right now uh, with a story that needs to be told. 
um, before you came to America at 18 year, years of age, you um, had to overcome a lot. And when I say survivor with a gift, um, I know your courage because I know you personally, but our listeners don't. If you don't mind, and if it's not too too hard, can you rewind um, before we go forward and give the listeners a little bit about your story and how you came up before you came to America and what what life was like? Yes, absolutely. So A Gift from Adversity, my book that's uh, available on Amazon, um, it's, the subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. And then I've experienced all of this before 18 years old. So what happened was uh, when I was in Japan, I was raised in a very small village, about 4,000 people near Mount Fuji, beautiful um, countryside of Japan, where everybody knew everyone in the uh, good and bad way and my parents got divorced when I was eight and then um after that um well prior to their divorce I witnessed a lot of uh, domestic violence against my mom uh for my father and then I wanted to always intervene and then not only that I had my um uncle who is I think he has some mental delay or something uh that my grandpa was always beating him up and then alcohol problems and then um always exposed to violence and then after my mother left the sexual abuse started to happen and think as young as I can remember I started to like have two uncles and my father sexually stimulate me all the time and you know having orgasm at such a young age um by getting forceful, forcefully stimulated really um made my brain wired like so differently than other people um and i was getting physically and sexually verbally uh emotionally abused but by the time um when when I was experiencing that in Japan, there was no talk about sexual abuse, no children's right, no Me Too movement, nothing like that. I had no idea what was going on, but I knew that it was very, very scary and then uncomfortable. And I knew that it was not okay. And when my voices just uh, be as graphic as you can imagine, uh, one time, I don't know, like my dad got really pissed and then he grabbed my ear and then um, threw me to the wall. One time he got pissed and then um, he grabbed my head and then pounded on the desk and threw me to the um, door and it was kicking me and I couldn't breathe. And then when he took a break, I just ran off to my friend's house, but then he chased me with the car. And then he was like, obviously I was like 12 or 13 that he knew where I was going. So he was ahead of me waiting for me and stuff. So I had to go to another people's house. He was still trying to punch me. So try to, my friend's parents tried to intervene. But not only the physical abuse part, but um, sexual abuse, like I couldn't make sense of it. And um, when I decided to escape from him when I was 13, I don't know how the hell I did that. Uh, then when I, I, when I started to live with my mom who was married to her husband, um, I told them two years later that what happened to me, um, and she believed the physical abuse part because she had experienced that, but she didn't believe the sexual abuse part. And then later on, I found out like 80% of mothers, they don't believe the sexual abuse um, causing to their children um, by their sexual partner or former sexual partner. So it was just heartbreaking. So I tried to kill myself when I was 15 and she found me um, cutting my wrist 
in a blanket. And so she put me to medication or whatever. And then I just started to act up. I was almost going to drop out of the high school in Japan. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the somebody, somebody that I was dating that time, um, he said I should volunteer. And I volunteered with disabled people. And that really changed me. And I started to try a lot more. But um, when I was 18, my mom just decided to kick me out from the house. So I was homeless by 18 because I think... The, the huge part of the story is that the mental health talk was never addressed in that era in Japan. Um, children's rights, uh, women's rights are still not there as advanced as America. And that's the whole kind of like overall quick picture of what happened to me. Um, and I, I will be the first to say that, um, you know, the book is a must read book. Um, there, there is a happy ending um, to the, the book, but the reality is that, you know, I will apologize for, you know, what you had to go through because I, I know you as a person and, um, you know, my initial uh, meeting with you, um, I was doing a whole series on uh, trafficking here in the United States, but it, it is true. A lot of times that when people cry out, no one's listening uh, and no one believes especially when it comes to an adult's partner. No one ever believes someone would do this to a child, but it's true, these things happen. Um, you came to America at 18. How did that happen? How did that transpire? Our city was holding exchange program uh, audition, com like competition. So I wrote an essay and I did interview 10 against one twice. First year I failed and second year I got the award. I was chosen... Uh, one of the team to come to America out of 23 uh, auditioners. And then I was trained by Japanese government affiliated youth organization to be sent to America, greeted by Crown Prince and Crown Princess of Japan. Back then, now they are emperor and empress of Japan at the, yeah. at the emperor's palace. And that's how I got here. All right. And um, you have a strong connection to, to music. You are... Um... I, you've got um, some music out on, on YouTube, am I correct? Can you tell us a little bit about your music and how that is intertwined with your life presently? Sure. So I was actually taking piano lessons growing up, and then I went to Berkeley College of Music um, since 1998. I came to Boston. When I went to the exchange program, it was two weeks first. And then after I went back to Japan, I came back with six months program and I went back to Japan and became homeless. And I got a scholarship audition uh, to attend Berkeley College of Music. So I came to Berkeley when I was um, 21, 22, and then I graduated. And then um, I have album out, I've been, I, I've toured, I've done every single aspect of piano jobs that you can imagine. And I've been such um, like it's been such a journey to be able to pursue what I dream to become and then um, have done everything that I wanted. All right. And um, this is going to come as a surprise because living in Foxborough, Massachusetts, um, most people that get into journalism, they have a degree, they have a background um, because of your strong personality, your will to work, your will to survive. You landed a job as a journalist. Um, now, I'm the first person to say, you know, the big conversation is, is education really worth the debt? And um, going into that conversation, my opportunity, 
my conversation is always most of the people in my my circle do um, either have degrees or don't have degrees are very successful. But how every single person became who they are is because someone gave them a chance and someone gave you a chance. Can you tell us about that? that story, how it came about, and how you became a uh, journalist and what you're doing with that now. And you're attached to a couple of programs I'd like for you to, to elaborate on. So I do have a degree in music. It's called a uh, professional music major. So I do have bachelor's from Berkeley College of Music as a musician, but I never studied journalism. So that was not my major. <laughs> so it's very interesting because uh, just to let you know, and let everybody know, I never spoke a word of English growing up. And I, I never understood what people were saying when I came to America for the first time. Um, and I, my English grade, um, it, it wasn't that great. Like it, it was like not good. And so I, it's, it's, it, I still pinch myself. So before this podcast, I was um, writing an article. I've written about 500 articles every aspect of human interest story to hard news. I just finished writing about abortion pill ruling, um, mental health issues, um, sex trafficking, um, sexual assault, um, any any story or happy stories. Um, so it's just so incredible that I gotten this opportunities to advocate for so many people through my journalism job. So what happened was my son, I was six years old and he got an opportunity to sing the national anthem at Boston Green Fest. And so we are interviewed by Rick Foster, who was a reporter at the Foxborough Reporter, and then Paul Kandarian, who from is a Boston Globe writer. And then Rick uh, came to Rotary Club meeting. I'm a Rotarian in Foxborough too. And then he saw me being like a butterfly, like a social, like, you know, kind of like person that seemed to know everybody. And then um, he said, Jiri, do you know any stories that maybe can be newsworthy? So I gave him five stories that can be maybe on the news. Two got published right away. And then Rick said, you need to meet my manager. So I went to meet the manager at the Sun Chronicle, which we cover about 10 towns. And then we have about 100K visitors a month. And then we have guaranteed reader, 20 to 30K readers, a very prestigious newspaper company um, in Southern Massachusetts. So when I went to talk to the manager, I had zero expectation. Like you said, I didn't study any journalism. But what I talked about is a film called Spotlight which featured about four Boston Globe investigative writers and um, to bring the sexual abuse have, um, caused by uh, the Catholic priests. Um, and it was such a courageous movie to be uh, featured by Hollywood productions. And then I told uh, my manager, like, you know, that movie and then highlighting the journalism really touched me. And something that I experienced that you know, people are afraid to shed a light on, the journalism can do that. And I really admire you doing that. That's what I said. And I think he saw me, um, the justice of some somebody who doesn't bend the truth and who's not afraid to speak out. Um, and I told him what I was doing that week, which was I was organizing the event between New England Revolution, which is a professional soccer team, and the YMCA to have a clinic sponsored by the Rotary Club. And I told him about it. I'm organizing. And he said, that's your first assignment. Do it. So that's how I got my job. Well, congratulations. I will tell you, and this is just a joke. 
Fox News is never going to hire you. You you've been too much to the truth. <laughs> um, so you have so many other um accolades outside of um your um journalism, you know, your, your music, but knowing you as a person, I know you are a strong, strong woman. You're juggling not only a career as an actress, a writer, producer, a journalist, um, a speaker, a podcaster, but you have two beautiful children, Jalen and um, Jayla. How are you doing all of this? Because most women are struggling um, of doing this with a spouse and support nannies and whatever. You're doing this as a single mom. You know, when, when you talk about heroes, you are the original Shiro. And I'll probably bring up the fact that you were in a Marvel movie also. So it's legit. You are confirmed a, a hero, a hero, a Shiro. How do you do this? How do you juggle this? And how do your kids look at you? My son said to somebody, well, I'm not superhuman like my mom or something. <laughs> One time mm. he was saying that to somebody. But um, Berkeley College of Music truly helped me to multitask and then um, time manage because we at the college is pretty much the top college of music. But not only studying about music, we have gigs, we have concerts, we have projects. And that really taught me to go without sleep of like you know two four hours a day and then you know being able to be on a recording studio at 3 a.m 4 a.m when people people call you to sing in hebrew like i'm there like you know whatever the task that they give me so that really gave me a lot of um determination and then being able to multitask and I have really good friends that I trust that they can take care of my children and then they are always here to help me and I'm so grateful um, that some of my close friends are willing to take my kids anytime when I have to jump on an airplane and then be on a Marvel movie or like anything um, it's just such an amazing um grew up a group of solid fans that I have that are helping me to raise my kids so I call them community kids because they are like being so raised by many loving community members here all right and um can can we elaborate a little bit about your role into a, a Marvel movie because that is a huge franch franchise there's probably not one I has not personally missed um I will tell you that you know as a child I wanted to be the, uh, the Black Panther, you know, so I'm, I'm waiting for Hollywood to give me an opportunity to be in a Marvel movie. I still work out what, and so forth. But tell, tell us about how you ended up in a Marvel movie. So I did Marvel twice. One I cannot disclose yet. Yeah. Um, one that I can disclose, which was Shang-Chi, The Legend of Ten Rings. I was a, a body double, photo double of Miss Michelle Yeoh, who won the Oscar from Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Um, so I was doing Dexter, uh, just background work. And then one of my gaffer friend uh, tagged me on Facebook. This is after 12 hours day. I came home exhausted, checked my Facebook notification. I got tagged for photo double Michelle Yao I had no idea nothing nothing was written besides that send headshot and then size so I send headshot and size nothing else and my contact next day my phone rang from California number and the casting director was very serious he was like 
um, Paramount Studio wants you for Avenger reshoot. How soon can you get to the COVID test? And I said, where? And she said, North Hollywood. And I said, I'm doing Dexter in Massachusetts. She said, how soon can you get here? So I called my friend after I hang up the phone. And then I got 5.30 a.m. ticket. And then I got to the airport at three. I got home like nine. <laughs> and then I went there on time. My friend came to pick me up for COVID test. And I had no idea at this point what the movie was about. I, I had no idea it was Marvel or nothing. So I go there, COVID test, 11.30. My friend David came to pick me up. And then um, I said, do you know what this movie is about? And then he's like, it's called Shang-Chi, The Legend of Ten Rings. I'm like, what? I so watched then, that movie. Yes. Then I got to go to a fitting. Uh, the Michelle Yao wore three fabulous costumes um, designed by this uh, lady, Kim. And then Kim was there to welcome me at the fitting. And I got to wear this very, very complicated superhero costumes in the bathroom <laughs> and then they were comparing me and Michelle Yao's photo and see how it works and the next day I was at the Paramount studio day my lunch was lobster tail and me young and it was just so amazing just and then seeing um Sim Liu and Menger in action and then being on this like giant blue screen um studio there's absolutely nothing there but there's a lot of marks but then when you stand behind the screen there's a vast chinese rice field mm -hmm. it was so incredible to see um the paramount studio i was chauffeured by golf cart and i was given a map like the city and no idea where i was so somebody came to help me to navigate me to where i had to go um ad was so nice um everybody was just so amazingly nice and i had a really great time well i'm gonna make sure that uh, i've got a good friend in hollywood george lee that i'm gonna make sure that when this is done i'm gonna send him over because he's someone that you should definitely uh, meet because he's doing a lot of uh, great things in Hollywood as a film director, producer, but you're also a um, writer, producer, um, and film director within. So you you have your own accolades. But, you know, when they say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, nor does the rose petal fall far too far from the rose. Because um, I heard a conversation of Emmy being uh, attached to your name, and not only your name, to your son's name. Um, and I think you're, you're being fitted for an outfit. I, I think you and Jaden are going to the Emmys. Why? So I didn't do much. It's Jaden. It's my son, who was 12 years old, who got nominated for Emmy. Um, we are going to the awards ceremony on June 10th. So he's been on Nessen, New England Sports Network Clubhouse, Nessen Clubhouse reporter, co-host, um, for the second year contract. So this is an incredible story. So Kevin, when we got an opportunity to audition for Nesson Clubhouse host, um, they already won Emmy before pandemic. And this is before pandemic, right before the pandemic, Jaden passed self-tape auditions, um, Zoom audition, and he was at the in-person um, Nesson um, studio audition. He got the gig. We went to sign the paper. Everything was good to go. Then the pandemic hit. So two years of time, it was completely canceled. 
So we gave up on this dream of him reporting about the Boston Red Sox. And my son loves baseball. That's his sport. And we were devastated. And then the Christmas um, after the pandemic, and he was asked to do the self-tape again. So I'm like, oh my gosh, here you go. And then we did two Zoom callbacks. And then he got the gig um, out of all these um, people who auditioned for it. And we started working last year. And so he did about 10 also episodes and they loved him. And um, they were so kind that he got extended his contract for the second year. So we just had a shoot last week and he's actually going to Fenway Park tomorrow to interview Yoshida, who is a $90 million, five years contracted Red Sox new player. He's asked to uh, interview some questions in Japanese. And the Emmy, um, was basically from the last year's episode where he was inside the green monster at the Fenway Park cracking jokes, but it was part of the script that he had to memorize. So every episode he was given like four to nine pages to completely memorize, no teleprompter whatsoever, and it being an action as well. And he uh, interviewed some kids on the field or whatever the situation is. Last Last week was a card vault, which is a card trading place. Mm -hmm. He script two days before Kevin, two days before. And he had four pages to memorize and he had math homework too. So it's a lot for 12 years, but he's nailing it, crashing it, and he's now nominated. And he's 12 years old. So for all those young people out there having trouble doing your homework, I will tell you, he is slated to be up on uh, talking with Kevin and son. We're going to talk about how he juggles all, all of this. But before we go on and talk more about all the things you've done, because both you and your son, you have been around um, Oscar winning film producers and directors. We'll talk about how that feels to be with uh, around those people. You and your sons have been around the likes of Jennifer Gardner, um, Leonardo DiCaprio, if I'm getting this right, Halle Berry. Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence. Okay, I'm sorry. Jennifer Lawrence. Um, Halle Berry, um, Leonardo DiCaprio, Meryl Streep's. Okay, I want to talk about that. But before I go on, um, let's go ahead and let everyone know how to get in touch with you. I want you to give another plug on how they can get your book and what your book's about. So if you can, I want you to take over my show and um, I want to give you some love. How do people get in touch with you? Yes. Um, so I'm on Facebook a lot. Juri, J-U-R-I, love. If you search on Facebook, I'm approachable. Send me a message. And Instagram is at Juri Panda. Um, and my email is Juri, J-U-R-I, Panda at gmail.com. And then my book is available on Amazon. It's called A Gift from Adversity by Julia Love. And then it's the uh, podcast is the same title, A Gift from Adversity. Uh, it's available on Spotify as well. All right. And I just want to let those of you that um, are looking at um, reaching out to, to jury. All right. We don't lo loan money when you call. We don't pay pay bills when you call. Um, she's not going to cast you in um, her, her next film project. She's not going to read your screenplay. So don't ask. Um, but if you want to get to know uh, a genuine person or if you're a podcaster and would like to have her on your show um, to talk about and share her story. Um, she is open for that. She is a, a, a wonderful, wonderful person. Now, um, I know most people, and I've seen it in real life. I've worked on the, um, the um, touchstone picture with Mark Wahlberg um, 
uh, Invincible, the Vince Papali story. So I, I know what it's like in order to be around stars, but you've been around some really big stars. Um, how do you avoid being starstruck? And are they different from regular people? And, you know, how do they treat you? Well, um, Adam McKay, who's Oscar-winning director, writer uh, on Don't Look Up, he was just super kind, like so genuine. And, you know, um, I had a line, uh, the scene that I worked on got cut, unfortunately, but I had a line of me in the car by myself and this $100,000 red camera, I was holding like selfie style. And he said, um, you know, if you mess up the words here and there, that's fine. Like, you know, if you want a different word, that's fine. And then I said, should I look up the sky when I say sky? And Adam was like, oh, don't worry, just feel whatever you feel like. Not He was so casual. And then my son had an amazing scene with Mark Rylance, who's an Oscar-winning actor. And then every time they went on the stage to deliver the lines, there were 150, like, you know, 100 people, like, you know, in the background, like, audience. And he was just, like, going through. He was nervous, obviously, at the beginning, but he... Adam McKay really made sure Jaden was okay. And then everybody was so nice to him. And even uh, Jeff Waxman, who is the executive producer of Don't Look Up, who spent like $75 million, um, came to greet us in the green room and thanked us. And Jeff was actually showing me his personal photos of Japan when he was making G.I. Joe Snake Die. And mm-hmm. he's a John Wick he was just so nice and he was showing me the love that he had in Japan and then that he was able to shoot inside the castle of Japan which never happened in the filming industry so he was showing me this so many great things and then it just like um and I worked with so many A-listers close to me that I cannot say yet like it'll come in the future but like, I, I was very close to them um and it it just you know similar to Menger from the Shanxi, like Menga even offered me Japanese snack and like oh my gosh, like they're like so extremely nice. And I think the reason is Kevin, these people work extremely hard to get to where they are, and they have to block so many negativities to get to where they are, and they have to audition, they have to memorize, they have to connect with people, you know, network just constant like upward to be where they are. So I feel so lucky to be around these people who are absolutely like prestigious and horned and like pristine. It's just so amazing to spend time with them and then be able to share a very, very special moment that you would later see on the TV or film. Just when I went to see uh, Don't Look Up with My Son in the theater, I was just like, oh my gosh, it was just such a special moment. It's just, I can't ever forget these kind of things. Well, uh, you know, I am happy to see, and it's a long time coming, more women in film, not only uh, in front of the camera, behind the camera, and you're one of those people that are providing opportunities um, for women and for minor- minorities. Um, we're being recognized for the talent we are, that we have as regular people. What are you working on right now? If you can share that with us, your personal stuff, you know, this is a time to, you know, if you're writing, producing to go ahead and talk about that. When can we cast? And, you know, I'll, I'll let you, let my agent know when I can audition for it. I can speak two English, uh, two, two languages. Good morning. Good night. 
both of them I, I do very well. <laughs> um, thank you so much for that. So I'm part of Board of Advisory of Women in Film Video New England. Um in New England. So it's an organization, it's a 501c3 to support uh women in the film and TV industries. I got this amazing grand prize by doing Boston 48-hour film project, which I'm doing this weekend for my fourth year. My first year, I, I won the award from Whitney uh, as a team award. And then second year, I won a grand prize as a producer, uh, female producer. So they give me so many opportunities to network with the crew and filmmakers and networking event. Um, and then that's how I met you at the Connect event. Uh, organized by the Secret Society of Black Creatives uh, because they sent me there to present uh, represent the organization, which I was uh, extremely honored. So I am definitely involved with the WIFNI. And then not only that, um, I'm doing the 48-hour film project this weekend. And I just got cast for the indie film. I just did a Muslim film uh, this year. And I got cast for one amazing movie um, as a psychic, but unfortunately I got COVID and I couldn't do it. I was so bummed. Um, and then um, the film that I'm doing in um, September, I was literally before Nessun shoot doing the Zoom callback for my lines, uh, for my role. When I was driving, I felt so bad. I just couldn't make it home. And I got the role because I was just so committed to what I have to say and I memorized it the night before. And I'm producing a short film called Driver's Ed. Um, and I'm the producer for that. And I'm producing four shows at the Foxborough Cable Access. And the one I'm so proud is called What's Up? We have production in a couple hours. It's run by youth. And then they are learning, my daughter included, how to run JVC and then all this equipment and editing software, Final Cut Pro. And we have about 70 episodes. And then today, before the show, or actually during, I was a producer for a talk show called Around Foxborough. I'm producing a show called Legalese, which is almost like a comedy, but to educate American legal system. And I'm trying to produce a plant-based cooking show as well. And I produced art shows, so different shows. So it's really, really fun to produce TV shows and films. You are, you are um, not only a gift, you're a busy, busy, busy woman. You got a lot of things going on. You're raising two brilliant, wonderful kids. I mean, 12-year-old, that's a pilot. I can't wait to have Jaden um, on um, this show so we can go ahead and give him some love. There are a lot of women out there um, that don't have hope, um, um, that are trying to figure out you know, how you do everything you do. If you were to give one piece of advice to a single mom, um, that either um, has part or your story or someone that is just struggling, trying to um, get through the day, what advice would you give as a working um, female minority in this um, film industry, in the, in the working world itself, in a male-dominated uh, in industry? What would you, what little bit of advice would you give to the woman that's looking at you right now and says, oh, I wish I had the opportunity. I wish I could be her. What would you say to that woman right now? I don't know if somebody would even think that, but you know, if they would even think that way, that I would be honored 
first of all. Uh, but I really, really, really worked hard to where, get to where I am. And I never considered myself as a minority. Surprisingly, people ask me, can you speak English? People discredit me due to like whatever the look that I have. However, I've written like 500 articles plus. Um, so always really shut off. And then we are in the age, it's very easy to block people off from social media or phone or email. I don't know how many people I blocked. Um, not just my journalism job or film on different circumstances. Um, people have said so many different names that my parents didn't even have to think about my name. Like, I, I don't know, every, every single name that you can think of, um, people called me. But um, I just think that whatever happens to me, like it's not as worth as my father raping me or being homeless at 18. So I feel like I had enough share of adversity growing up that toughened me up, that you can just toss me to whatever the place in the world and I can still survive. And then I will make friends and I'll move forward. So, you know, I think as bad as my adversity was, it prepared me to be in this industry perfectly where you have to really thrive without any, um, without taking any noises and then without taking any judgmental things but most importantly, I was doing this podcast of a guest from Australia who was fat shamed all her life. And she was telling me, Julie, I realized the worst abuser was me. So whoever says something to you, bad names or whatever, discredit you. I've had so many things happen to me um, that you are the one who's going to take it or not take it. So you decide that, okay, am I going to ruin my day because of this person who was not nice to me? Or am I going to move forward with my dreams and visions and what I'm given to do today? I'm here with you for your podcast. I'm honored. And if I was crying in my bed and I cancel you, that ruined the opportunity because of what? The people who were mean to you, my father included. I cannot let that happen anymore. I've suffered enough. And people who are suffering out there, you suffered enough. And you already gave the power to them. Stop giving the power to all these perpetrators and people who are ugly to you. Just stop giving your precious day. Um, you only have 24 hours. And that 24 hours, no matter what color of race you are, it's not going to discriminate. You only have 24 hours. Are you going to be in bed crying over it? Or are you going to move forward and meet more positive people? There are 8 billions of us. Why would you waste time for these people who is trying to ruin your life? It's up to you to take it or not take it and digest it or not digest it. You can block it. And my daughter always say, mom, just block him or her <laughs> and they stop facetiming him or her like and she's very strong she's six years old so self-advocacy self-respect self-love my favorite mantra that i want to share is i'm the love that i seek and, and i am going to let our listeners uh digest that normally i, I would add something to it but i couldn't have said it in, uh any better um 
I, I, I do have this one question to ask, and it's ASK. And I want you to ask big. 99.8% of the guests that comes on this show talking with WIT, Kevin and Son, I always ask ASK, ASK, if you had one ask, you had one dream that could come true, no matter how, how big or how small, what would that ask be? And the reason why I'm asking that, because, you know, I always said that I'm never going to have a podcast that I'm going to have billions and millions of people that subscribe and follow. I don't look for those people. I'm a tr firm believer you are surrounded by the, the people that reflect you. And I am a person of, of a high call to action. My friends are people that if I need them, no matter what time um, um, I call, they respond. And I'm the same way, the same way with sponsors. My sponsors back me no matter uh, how big or how small the ask is. I'm probably the only podcaster, and I hopefully you'll adapt this on your podcast, is that almost two years that I've been doing this, I've had four people that have answered this question and someone that has followed and subscribed this podcast has granted them their one wish. Not a lot of people go through their whole life and get a, uh, a dream that comes true. So my listeners are not people that drive by an accident. They stop and help. So, Miss Love, if you had one ask, big or small, what would that ask be? Well, if it's one. It, go ahead and ask for two. What the hell? I'm generous today. <laughs> well, the house that I don't have to worry about paying for mortgage for my children to have their own bedrooms and they can have a dog. Okay. And maybe a jet for my son. <laughs> a for my son. And the reason why she's asking for a jet, because at 12 years old, her son's a pilot. Correct. All right. And we'll, we'll, we'll learn that. And uh, one more time, how do people get in touch with you? Um, this is another plug for your, your, your book that it's on, on Amazon. There's a couple of categories and she is at the top of three categories that will consider her a bestseller in those categories at this time. So tell us about a little bit more about your book and uh, why people should buy it and how they're going to help, how to reach you on your social media, and then we'll wrap up. Thank you again. My Facebook is Juri, J-U-R-I, love. And my Instagram is at Juri Panda, J-U-R-I Panda. And my email address is Juri Panda, J-U-R-I Panda at gmail.com. And my book is called A Gift from Adversity. The uh, subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. And if you Google or go to Amazon and then just put A Gift from Adversity, by Juri, J-U-R-I, love. Now, I want to ask a question. Don't put your book away. Can you hold it up there a little bit more? Yeah. That is a very classic, um, beautiful cover. Who's the photographer? Taiga Kuni. All right. Got to make sure you give him some love because that, that's, that's important too. So, um, Juri, my friend, my most talented friend, my friend that I, I, I have now labeled you as the gift you are a true gift to the world. I want to thank you. I am very humbled to have you as a guest on my um, podcast. Um, anything you want the listeners to take away from this that you want to say in final before we wrap? Well, first of all, thank you, Kevin, for having me on your podcast. I really truly appreciate it. And then for the listeners out there who 
uh, maybe having a um, bad day today, just acknowledge your feelings. And if you're sad, that's completely okay. If you need to cry, if you're having panic attack, that's completely okay. So it's gonna go away. It's not the end of the tunnel. And just make sure you keep moving forward and crashing it. All right, no problem. And to my listeners, I wanna thank you for staying with us. We have covered a lot of uh, information and I hope at some point, the conversation we had and things we shared has enlightened you, has touched you uh, within your soul to where that you may change a couple of things within yourself and even change the view from your own window. If you uh, have not followed us, please go to RMK Productions and Network on YouTube and subscribe and follow. Um, if you need to reach me and would like to be a guest, um, go to info at RMK Productions dot org um i appreciate it my grandfather always said that when you get to a point in life you can help someone else it is your duty to do so reach one teach one and we'll fade to black and we're out thank you jury <laughs>